Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished and quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hello. Well, this morning, I have a much shorter book than last week. <laughs> this is The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Have you ever read this book before? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. That's right. I still read this book all the time. Just for fun, I guess. Well, here is the story. In the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and pop! Out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. He started to look for some food. On Monday, he ate through one apple, but he was still hungry. On Tuesday, he ate through two pears, but he was still hungry. On Wednesday, he ate through three plums, but he was still hungry. On Thursday, he ate through four strawberries, but he was still hungry. On Friday, he ate through five oranges, but he was still hungry. So, on Saturday, he ate through one piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. That sounds like my diet. The next day, I forgot a piece. That night, he had a stomach ache. Go figure. The next day was Sunday again, and the caterpillar ate through one nice green leaf, and after that, he felt much better. Now, he wasn't hungry anymore, and he wasn't a little caterpillar anymore. He was a big, fat caterpillar. He built a small house called a cocoon around himself, and he stayed inside for more than two weeks. Then. He nibbled a hole in the cocoon and pushed his way out, and poof, he was a beautiful butterfly. The end. Well, we're getting dangerously close to the two-and-a-half-year mark. I think you know what I'm talking about. The two-and-a-half-year mark of when everything just kind of became terrible, I guess. I don't know. Everything just started like being really difficult to get through. You know, the two-and-a-half-year mark of uh, March... 15th, that Sunday when everything just stopped. 
And uh, it started the very next week after March 15th that I began hearing the expression, mostly from my own lips, but from others as well, I just want things to go back to normal. Do you remember saying that? Do you still say that? I do sometimes. I just want things to go back to normal. Uh, because we just had like these, these series of, of really frustrating events. We had the COVID-19 pandemic that, that you know, swept across the world and we're still wrestling with today and the consequences of it are, are still felt even now. And it hasn't gone back to normal. And, and then in this time frame as well, we started having all of this like uncivil political unrest. Like, I don't know what happened. I, I feel like politics used to be a little bit more tame. Not like really tame, but at least a little bit more tame. And now like people hurt each other over it. It's uh, crazy. And, and things haven't really gotten any better over the past two years in that. And then our own church experienced uh, unprecedented hurricane damage, and we thought, you know, if we could just get this roof leak fixed, everything would be okay. And here we are, getting close to the two-year mark ourselves of uh, being displaced from our space with ridiculous renovations that are still going on, and things just haven't really gone back to normal. So I have a question for you. What is normal? Thoughts? This will be the participation part of today. What, what does it mean for something to be normal? Familiar, Familiar. yeah, I like that. Comfortable, Comfortable. absolutely. Routine. Routine, yes. Nostalgic. Nostalgic, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to bring that word back up later. Stability, Stability. Stability. yes. Not extreme. Not extreme, yeah. Yeah, these, these, are, these are great definitions for it. Uh, yes, normal is uh, simply conforming to a type or standard or regular pattern that's characterized by that which is considered usual, typical, or routine. Yeah, there's Merriam-Webster's for you. Normal. Normal, though, we might need to redefine because there's nothing normal about normal. There's nothing routine about normal. There's nothing regular about normal. There's uh, nothing typical about normal. And what I mean by that is I, I uh, hearken back to Heraclitus. Anybody ever read Heraclitus, Greek philosopher? It's boring stuff. It's, it's, it's really chunky stuff. Uh, but he, uh, he is the one who, uh, coined the phrase, the only thing that is constant is change. Yeah, the only thing that is constant is change. And while he might have coined the phrase, the uh, expression of that has long been enacted in human experiences. I uh, think about in Buddhism, uh, one of the essential doctrines of Buddhism is called anicca. And anicca, it means impermanence. Impermanence. Uh, this doctrine asserts that all of existence, without exception, is transient, evanescent, inconstant. That nothing is constant or permanent. That all things change. Uh, 
In other words, the only real, normal thing is change. That's the only thing we can kind of count on, is that things are going to change. And so <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny whenever we talk about we just want things to get back to normal, because it's not something that's actually possible. We've been through so much in this time that any amount of going back to normal isn't going to be conceivable. Normal, normal, before all of this, didn't have the perspective of a global pandemic. Normal, before all of this, did not have the perspective of the political upheaval we've experienced. Normal, before all of this, didn't have us in this building, in this space, going through these experiences. But these are things we learn from, and these are things that change us. So if there's any normal we're going to get back to, it's going to be something new, something that's changed. And change is not easy, but it is necessary. Necessary in that that's just the way the world works. It's the lesson that's emphasized in our story today, which draws on one of the oldest mysteries that has baffled and intrigued humanity for millennia. In fact, it's only been in, in recent scientific endeavors that we've actually understood what's going on in the transition between the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's such a dramatic change. How does that even happen? You've got this little squirmy thing rolling around on the ground and like eating a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden it's like, beautiful and we're mesmerized by it and these intrinsic patterns that are all, all across its uh, wings and the way that it uh, nurtures and cares for our world. It goes from this thing that consumes everything to this thing that pollinates. A fascinating dramatic change. And I've, I've thought many times, uh, referring to this story, how nice it would be if I could just eat whatever I wanted, follow it up with a salad and a two-week-long nap, and come out uh, even more beautiful than I am now. <laughs> but then I learned what actually happens inside the chrysalis. Does anybody else know what happens inside the cocoon in that transition? It's gross. Soup happens. Yeah! This is, so inside that uh, chrysalis, the caterpillar starts to digest itself. Yeah, and in fact, if you uh, got it at the right time, if you were to cut open a cocoon at the right time, it would just kind of like ooze out. Yeah, it's gross stuff. Uh, the only thing that really remains of the caterpillar are these uh, very specifically organized cell clusters that are used to reconstruct the caterpillar into a butterfly based on certain protein and genetic code from this caterpillar soup. Fascinating, right? Yeah! And so, when it, but whenever I learned about that, I realized, uh-oh, I don't want to actually go through that. I don't want to digest myself. That sounds mortifying. <laughs> it sounds like a very uncomfortable process. But then again, change is always uncomfortable. Even still, change is how our God works. Consider, 
From the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly, change is how our God works. Or the transformation of a human embryo into a full-grown adult, change is how our God works. The transformation of a couple of uh, house clustered into a, houses clustered into a village into a thriving community, change is how our God works. Or even the fact that we, as a human species, were once so isolated in a corner of the world and now we're an expansive, globalized civilization, change is how our God works. I uh, referenced this earlier, but it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, new things have come into being. What a beautiful concept. Change is how our God works. And we refer to this as transformation, which, you know, if you want to break that word down for a moment, there is a form that we have, and the word trans, to shift, that form gets shifted into something completely new. That's how God works. And that's how God has always worked. Our Isaiah passage comes at a pretty significant time for the people of Israel and Judah. Uh, so if, you, if we can recall our Bible history for a moment, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah uh, essentially engaged in trade practices that just made things really difficult for themselves. Uh, and uh, essentially, the northern kingdom of Israel got overrun by the kingdom of Assyria. And then up from the, uh, a little bit further east, comes the kingdom uh, or the empire of Babylon that overthrows Assyria and takes the people of Israel with it and then comes in and conquers Judah who became a vassal of uh, Babylon. And the people are sent into exile. Some of them to foreign countries, many of them as slaves into the kingdom of Babylon. And they're in a place they don't know with a language they don't know and a people they don't know and everything's very confusing and they don't know how they got here because we're supposed to be God's chosen people. How on earth did this happen? How could God let this happen? Here we are in the midst of all of this in our Isaiah 43 passage, which is part of what's known as Deutero-Isaiah, uh, the second Isaiah writings, come a, a time about 40 to 50 years after the exile. And during this time, the people are trying to figure out if anything's ever going to go back to normal. Consider, 40 years have gone by and you haven't seen your home. Whole generations have come up and they don't even know that home. And so they're wondering, will we ever get back to normal? And the answer comes, no. No. You're not going to get back to normal. See, God says, I'm about to do a new thing. But this passage delivers that message delicately by referencing the Exodus. If we go back a couple hundred years to the time whenever Moses led the people out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for 400 years. That sure puts 40 years into perspective. 
400 years of slavery in Egypt and they are being led out, we have this, this imagery, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, remember the parting of the red or reed sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, and they lie down. The uh, point in which the sea overwhelms the Egyptian forces. They cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. See, they've been through change before. In fact, that's all they've been through is change. They haven't had a moment of stability in quite some, the most stable time in their lives was 400 years of slavery. It's not a very stable experience you want to be in. And yet, that moment of Exodus, that moment of transition and change, is harkened back throughout all of uh, Judeo-Christian scripture in order to allow us to recognize how God works, that God does new things, that God saves people by doing new things. The people are led from the comforts, comforts of Egypt into a wilderness experience. And I say the comforts of Egypt because while they're in the wilderness, they remember the former things of old and they say, oh, if we would have just died in Egypt, at least we had food and water there. And they're led throughout the wilderness, a time of change and transition until they settle in the promised land a generation or two later. And even then, there's a bunch of instability and uncertainty, and change continues to come throughout the era of the judges and the kings until they find themselves once more enslaved. And they're wondering, is God going to bring us out of this one as well? And the God of transformation answers, yes, but it's going to look different. And in fact, it does look different. When we get into Ezra and Nehemiah, those of you who were in uh, Sunday evening Bible study uh, when we were talking about this, recall, whenever they get to this point of returning back to Jerusalem after the exile, and they start to rebuild the temple, there's weeping. And we make our assumptions about why they were weeping, but... Maybe it's just the fact that finally we've made it. Many scholars believe that it's because what they had made was not nearly as good as what once was. They start to find themselves clinging to the past, and it drags them down. Oh, does it drag them down and down and down. Nothing ever progresses because they don't listen to one particular line here in Isaiah, verse 18, that says, Do not remember the former things or consider things of old. That's because they become an anchor for us. God says, I'm about to do a new thing. A new thing. Something that's different than before. Right? Something that is not what it was, something that's not normal. We as human beings are kind of always getting in God's way of doing something new for God's people. That's how God works. God is the God of transformation. We've established that. We as humanity are always getting in God's way because of one natural human instinct, preservation. We don't like change. 
As much as God is trying to change us, trying to change the world around us, we don't like change. In churches, we seek to preserve what we've experienced, what we've grown up with, through the same sentiment over and over again, an expression that's known as the most dangerous phrase in business. Can you guess what that phrase is? Yeah, yeah, you're all saying essentially the same thing. We, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. Y yes, okay. That doesn't mean it was working. <laughs> or maybe if it was working at one point, it doesn't mean it's going to continue working. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the church setting, we don't do Gregorian chants anymore. We did. In churches, that's how we worship. We're in these chants that were very chunky and, you know, they're written in a strange uh, uh, method. We, we don't do that anymore. Uh, I've, I've heard many people say, you know, things like, uh, a guitar and drums don't belong in the church. Okay, why not? Well, that's not the way we've always done it. Oh, and the electric organ is? <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but electricity hasn't been around that long. You know, things like this. We, we try to preserve what we've always experienced because change is too uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. I love tradition. If I didn't, I, wouldn't, I would have asked to be placed in a contemporary setting worship experience whenever I was appointed as a pastor. I love tradition. I think there's a rich uh, experience from that. But tradition is meant for us to learn from not drown in. And as often as we kind of hinder the work that God is trying to do, God is telling us, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. For the people of Israel, as Isaiah is talking to them, the way that they had always done life, at least for a couple of centuries before the exile, was very unhealthy. I mean, very unhealthy. In the days before the exile, there was much chaos and violence, greed and extortion, and all manner of brokenness in human relationships. People were just mean to each other, terrible to each other. And God says, don't do the same thing again. Something new needs to take place in the way that you experience community. In fact... In the new thing that God is doing, we are told that even the wild animals will recognize that God means business. And in this particular passage, Isaiah 43, there are two wild animals referenced, jackals and ostriches. Um, if you were to go to the original Hebrew word, that's not the animals that they are. Uh, it's actually dragon or sea monster is translated to jackal. I don't know how they got there with that. Uh, and uh, ostrich is actually owl, or really the offspring of an owl. Uh, that doesn't matter. The wording doesn't matter as much as the representation of these animals. The jackal, or the dragon, or sea monster, represented chaos. And the owl, or spawn of owl, or ostrich, represented greed. And God says, even the jackal and ostrich will honor me. 
Consider that. Even those who sowed chaos and pursued greed, they will see that I mean business. That's what God is getting at here. That the new thing that God is trying to do is going to eradicate the things of old, the things that, that dragged us down, the things that were anchors for us, the things that got us into this mess of exile to begin with. Why? Because new life, the new life that God has promised means a new way of living is necessary. When a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly, it no longer lives the same way it did before. It has a completely new way of living in its new life. Can you imagine if, instead of using its beautiful wings to get around, the butterfly continued to crawl? How silly! What's the point of those wings? Can you imagine if Christians, after finding the hope of salvation in Christ, continue to live selfish lives? How silly. What's the point of that love? Can you imagine if the church, after going through several phases of abnormality, just went back to doing the same thing it did before? How silly. What's the point of all those experiences we could have learned from? We are called to new life, which means we need to find what God has outlined as a new way of living. And so my challenge for us this week, do not resist the transformation of God. How grateful we should be that the rest of creation doesn't resist the transformation of God. The trees follow the changing seasons. Birds learn to fly in pretty brutal ways. And Mom just kicks them out of the nest and hope for the best. Fish cling to the changing currents. They're not always the same. And caterpillars become butterflies. If we only lean, if we only lean into the radical and loving transformation of God, instead of longing for things to go back to normal, how beautiful might we find our existence? Let us pray.